Welcome to Action's Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. Something we've talked about quite a bit on this program is coaching. And when a lot of people think of coaching, they probably think of a one-on-one, an individual relationship where a coach listens to what you have to say, assigns you a bunch of exercises and gives you advice on what to do next or gives you questions and hopefully that you'll come up with the answers. However, there are multiple approaches to coaching and I want to give every approach its fair due. So today our guests are Laura Bennett and Kelly Jenkins, who are the co-founders of Her Brilliance Community, a community of women leaders. Kelly, Laura, welcome to the program. Thanks, Stephen, for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, definitely. So first, let's. Uh, I always like to orient uh, the audience. Tell us a little bit about Her Brilliance Community, uh, what your system is all about. Sure. Kelly and I founded Her Brilliance a couple of years ago now, and we are an organization focused that uses a group coaching approach, a women-centered group coaching approach to accelerate the development of women leaders. So we're sort of all about helping women really access and tap into their authentic, natural strengths as a way to amplify their leadership impact and influence. Yeah, and I think I'd just add to that, the idea of of community comes from this group coaching approach where it gives women an opportunity to learn in that peer-orientated community environment. And so this group coaching approach, you describe it as a community. How does that manifest? Because I think a lot of people out there, I know a lot of people in in America and probably a lot of other countries too, are missing this idea of community after social media first ripped it apart and then the pandemic ripped it apart even further. So what does this community look like? Yeah. And it can look very different ways. Obviously over the last couple of years, it's been mostly virtual and has been just as effective as an in-person environment. But you're really looking at a small intimate group of peers who have come together around some common theme or experience. So it could be they all belong to the same organization. It could be across industries. They're all in the same, you know, sort of at the same level and experiencing the same sorts of challenges. And what we are doing is bringing that group together. And instead of learning through this one-on-one executive coaching, we're applying those coaching competencies into the group environment. It's not training where we'd come in as experts and share our, our leadership knowledge. It is really us bringing together a group of women to share their experiences and us facilitating exercises and dialogue to help them reflect on their own leadership and come up with their own answers. And what do the group sizes look like? You found a way to make it work virtually. Is there a certain either size of the group or makeup of the group, as you mentioned, kind of shared experiences, like are they all from the same industry or all in the same level of leadership or something like that? Yeah, it can look in a number of different ways. Um, As Kelly mentioned, we tend to go with a more intimate size. So one of our sort of core tenets of our approach is around creating a really safe place without judgment, creating that sort of psychological safety. And so, you know, it can feel a little intimidating if you're coming into a group of like 50 expecting to show up and be open. And so a smaller size is what we generally see. Also, because of the nature of the level of discussion, and reflection, 
there needs to be enough space and time so that each person can really have the airtime to share their perspective. Possible to do something in a larger group, also then with a subset perhaps of smaller groups, really to create that psychological safety and the intimacy where people feel like they're comfortable to be able to show up and really be open. And is there any magical parameters around that group size? Like you seem to say 50 is too many. Obviously, you're not one-on-one, so there's some number between. I know people who read the Bible a lot will cite the number 12 as the optimal number that comes out of that book. What are your feelings on that? Is there a lot of variance? Do you kind of gauge it a little bit based on the personalities of the people in the community, how some people may be a little bit shyer and some people may be a little bit more outspoken? I think the research would show that group coaching sessions are generally for between four and 12 people. Once you get beyond 15, the International Coaching Federation doesn't consider that to be group coaching anymore. That sort of that tips into the realm of training. Six to eight is the sweet spot. You know, that is small enough that we can all fit on the one Zoom screen and really kind of connect as though we were sitting in a physical circle. And it gives that time and space that Laura was talking about for each person to have their air time for us to break off, you know, smaller groups and different constellations. So that's really where we like to play in that six to eight group size. And the other thing to add to, I think, to your earlier question is, as we mentioned, you know, sometimes there's real value in bringing leaders together from the same organization. The context is similar, you know, the culture, all of those sort of things are similar and there's ways and benefits for those leaders to share their experience. And there's also value in bringing women together from a variety of organizations, even a variety of sectors, nonprofit, for-profit, you know, all sorts of different things. And one of the things that we find often in both of those actually is sense of, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. You feel the same way. You have that same experience. It might show up a little bit differently, but there's this real sense of community and really like this feeling of not being, not being alone. Yeah. I know the feeling of being alone. It's actually interesting. I spent 10 years believing that I was some kind of an outlier or alone in the fact that my preferred work style was what I would refer to as the 90 minute power session. I would really focus on something for 90 minutes. And then I'd want to like practically lay down or in the office, go socialize. And then all of a sudden around four or five years ago, all kinds of research started coming out saying that that's actually the normal human state. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And people just don't even realize it. I feel like it gives some validity to people's experiences when they say, okay, I'm going through this, especially with things like imposter syndrome, which I know is pretty common. It really validates and normalizes those feelings. And I think what it also does too, though, is that when you share that that is your experience and somebody else can identify with that, you can then exchange your experiences with, well, here's what I tried and this is what worked for me. And somebody can take inspiration from that and then think about applying in that in their own work and life or or perhaps thinking about this situation differently. It's like a permission. Mm -hmm. You know, you finally give yourself and each other the permission, you know, and normalize those feelings. And a part of what you were saying about creating this is creating a safe space, you say a place where people feel comfortable sharing what they need to share. And a lot of that is feeling like, I don't want to say you're not going to be judged because I do honestly believe people are judging 
at all times in, in one way, but you're not going to be kind of reprimanded, mocked, any of these other things that people are going to validate your experience no matter what it is. Is there a key formula in these groups, whether they be as small as four, as big as 15 in your magic spot of six to eight, that helps make sure that no one feels uncomfortable sharing whatever it is they need to share? We put a lot of effort into creating that safe space. And there's a number of different aspects to that safe space. The first thing that we do when we come into a a group coaching session is help everybody to arrive. Mm -hmm. So we go through some sort of grounding exercise so that they can leave behind the stresses of the day and really be present to what is going on and the collective energy in the group. We use kind of a check-in process to help people feel comfortable sharing. So we ease people into it. So here's some sharing at a you know fairly non-threatening level. We may then do the next exercise in smaller breakout groups, pairs or, or triads before we kind of move into the bigger group space. We also put a lot of effort initially into sort of designing the alliance. You know, let's agree on how we want to show up for one another in this space. How do we want to be? And it's amazing to us and continues to surprise us each time we host one of these sessions, just how quickly, particularly women, can go deep with each other. And it really doesn't require all that much setup at all. And people can be complete strangers coming in. And at the end of an hour, they've shared some of their most vulnerable thoughts. And I think there is something too about sharing in that kind of environment where these people they're not invested in your life in the way that your colleagues or your family are. You know, if there is a level of judgment, which we do try to discourage, it's at a different level. And so people feel freer to share more vulnerably in those spaces, which sounds counterintuitive, but it's certainly been our experience. Yeah, I actually do know that experience. I think I experienced first when I was 18 years old and I took an Amtrak train from Chicago to the Wisconsin Dells and I told my life story to a complete stranger and that's when this light bulb went off. It's like, wait, but I'm not comfortable telling my parents this stuff. Why is that? Oh, yeah. This girl on the train has no vested interest in how my life turns out. I'm just on a train, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we, I mean, we've heard anecdotal feedback that, you know, everybody feels a little nervous coming into it. And, but then within the first five minutes, you know, because of the things that Kelly mentioned, our experience has been that women just let their guard down, open up. And like Kelly said, we take a lot of pride and we put in a lot of effort in creating that space. I think first and foremost, that is the most important piece. There's so few places in our lives where we have that space to truly explore, reflect, say things that we wouldn't say to our family members. So it really is a very sacred place for women to show up. And I think there's something about the the women-centric environment that creates that sense of safety. I'm sure there's science behind it. I can't tell you what it is, but it just we know intuitively from the work that we've done that the way that a group of women only can kind of dive into that deep sharing and reflection is so different to a mixed gender group. Well, and I think... We also know that women face very specific and unique challenges in the workplace. And even this idea of leadership identity and what research does show about how women feel 
like they sometimes need to fit into a model of leadership that feels very inauthentic. Perhaps it's more traditional, but there is something to be said about bringing only women together because of some of those challenges that women face uniquely that makes them feel more comfortable, more safe, and like they can truly explore their own leadership identity in ways that they may not be able to do anywhere else. Yeah, and based on just looking through your website, it feels like this unique leadership identity is a major part of what you're promoting through your program. And there is like the standard old-fashioned leadership model. Sometimes I refer to it as a taskmaster, more than a leader, especially in middle management traditionally. What does this look like? And how much variance are you seeing? Because you're saying that women face challenges that men generally don't face at work, but they're also cultivating their own specific leadership identities, which could be very different from the traditional model, but also very different from one another. I imagine everyone in your program has their own leadership identity that they're trying to cultivate. Like how much variance do you see in the leadership identities that people are developing? What we are trying to do with our work is to help women feel confident in their authentic leadership identity. This idea that rather than trying to fit into the model that you're seeing, you know, the leadership ranks within your organization, that you get really clear on who you are. So we spend a lot of time working with the women's values, what's important to them at their core, what are their strengths, and really helping them to recognize that those leadership qualities that kind of innately exist within them are valuable and valued within organizations. And the research is showing that the leadership qualities that are going to be required to address the challenges that we're all facing, you know, in this increasingly global and complex environment are those that are much more uniquely feminine or traditionally feminine. Collaboration, empathy, relationship-based, trust building, all of those things. And so a lot of the work is really helping women to recognize that those strengths that exist and that they perhaps have dismissed because maybe they're not valued in the, the leadership models they're seeing, or perhaps they just don't recognize how important those skills are in the workplace to really lean into those strengths and to develop their leadership identity around who they are naturally. And I think the other thing that we see is once women access that more and allow themselves again, the permission to accept those and really lean into those and leverage those traits and qualities that make them uniquely brilliant, to use our term, they find that their leadership impact and influence really just magnifies. Things become so much easier. They operate in sort of this state of flow and things just feel more natural and they're able to lead in service of things far bigger, you know, than things that they were doing when they were trying to fit themselves into a model or into a type of leader that felt really inauthentic. Yeah, it actually is so much easier. And I said this on another podcast episode earlier that I've witnessed people who are misaligned and therefore they're only working 30 hours a week, but they're burnt out. And I've seen people who are so well aligned that they're working 60 hours a week, but they're not feeling any burnout because they're just being who they really are. And you always wonder how the American song contest is going on right now. I don't know how many people care about it, but it reminds me that Snoop Dogg, for example, has the potential to be everywhere and collaborate with 
everyone that's ever been known. I don't think he's collaborated with Olivia Rodrigo yet, but you get the point. Yet, like you never see him yawn. If anyone's ever seen Snoop Dogg yawn on TV, I'd like to talk to you about that experience. But, you know, you imagine that, that when you're aligned, it really goes and your energy is so much better. And then you have so much more energy for the people who you are leading, the, the rank and file employees, and some people refer to it. And so as these leaders get developed, you're imagining a better situation for kind of everyone at these work environments that you don't have these grumpy leaders trying to be someone they're not. What are the talents that you see that are most undervalued that people tend to just dismiss as, okay, like I'm good at this, but no one cares because they say it's a soft skill, not a hard skill or whatever else you're seeing out there? That's a good question. I mean, I think some of the things that we've sort of mentioned already in terms of the skills and qualities that are going to be needed in the future, but things around relationship building, connection, sort of focus on whole leadership or heart-centered leadership, leading from a place of heart and purpose. I think sometimes those get or have the perception of being some of those more softer skills. But certainly with the pandemic and everything that has changed with COVID and what employees are looking for and need from their leaders, this idea of really meeting employees where they are and being able to connect with them on levels that are more personal and more emotional are absolutely essential for the future. And again, I think are sometimes undervalued. Leaders who exhibit those are seen as soft or not competent. They're likable, but they're not competent. Yeah. And I think, you know, the research again would back that. The Women in the Workplace report is showing that women leaders are disproportionately taking on that burden of supporting employees, particularly over the last couple of years. And it's taking its toll. And I think mostly it's taking its toll because it's unrecognized. That work is not valued and recognized and seen as leadership work. And so women are taking that on in addition to everything else that they're already doing within the workplace. And that's contributing to their extended burnout. So they're taking on this burden of supporting people emotionally. And I think we all know that this country's kind of in a mental health crisis right now. So you're saying that these women are taking that on in addition to the work they need to do to meet numbers, whatever it is. I have this idea that traditional leadership only cares about numbers, 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 and not being recognized for this. And is this part of what inspired you to start this community? Um, is there an aspect of this community that's support in a lot of other women leaders saying, okay, you know, I'm supporting this person. One of my employees just lost her mother or something, and I'm really trying to, to support her and bend over around some of the grieving process there and talking with each other about those experiences and kind of supporting that whole aspect of what it means to be a leader. That's exactly the value of bringing women together in community. It's about sharing experiences and being able to learn from one another, but it's also about that level of support. We had one woman leader just recently talking about how this is a huge strength of hers. And yet in overusing it, she risks burning out herself. So we asked her, you know, where do you get that support in your own world? And she's like, well, that's a great question. And so, you know, these group coaching sessions can provide that level of support, the friendly ear, the encouragement, the, the ideas for how to do this in a way that's not quite as burdensome for women 
it's again that validation but also that support and encouragement that is really so valuable in that group community it also to your question around sort of the i think you asked about the origin of the covid the pandemic related to kind of how we started some of this i think we started this a little bit before the pandemic and to be honest i think kelly and i saw some of this in ourselves what we were going through ourselves that we felt sort of this I don't know if it was a misalignment, but there was like a a greater purpose that we both felt for ourselves that we wanted to be more aligned with. And so as we continued to talk with one another and explore some of this, we started talking with other women. We were like, there's something here. And then COVID happened and it was like almost just emphasized the need even more. Laura, Kelly, what were you doing before you found each other and founded Her Brilliance Community? Yeah, I mean, I guess we both have similar stories in many ways. We both had professional careers, mine in professional services, Laura in the corporate sector, before we had children. We took some time out having had those children and that really kind of caused us to reassess, you know, what we wanted out of our work and our lives. And we both became drawn to coaching, a way of, of aligning what was important to us with the work that we were doing. And so we were introduced by a, a mutual coach friend and just immediately connected over the shared journeys that we had and then this desire to support women. And I think at its core, we saw in in other women that we were coaching and and probably if we're honest, recognized it in ourselves, that there were amazing women out there who just didn't always see how brilliant they were. And we really wanted to help women to be able to recognize that unique brilliance and to really leverage that to find this ease and flow that we're talking about in their work and for that to then flow over into their lives and the way that they are able to then show up for their families. And I think for Kelly and I, this kind of work truly leverages our own brilliance. I mean, we just talked the other day, we had had a session and we both were just, you know, our hearts were overflowing and how excited we were to have the session. doesn't feel like work so much is our way of using our our brilliance. It's always wonderful to hear people, whether they describe it as joy, hearts overflowing, getting that level of satisfaction out of their work. Because I recently saw a graphic that claimed that there's an 84% of Americans have some form of dissatisfaction with their jobs. So it is pretty rare and is something that I mean, part of the reason I started this podcast is to try to put a a dent into that number. And I'm assuming that you're helping these women also get into that, whether it's that 16% category. And I didn't look at the statistics and look at the specific survey to know that's exact number. So that number could be wrong, but you are helping people get to that better place. And you said that you started it just before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit. What were you thinking as that happened? Was there any level of panic, like, oh my gosh, this is going to ruin my whole plan? Or did you kind of just go with it and say, wait a second, okay, you need to transition this to Zoom. Let's figure out how to do this and let's actually work through how do we make, as you said before, the Zoom community just as effective as the in-person community? Yeah. 
I think quite the opposite, actually. I think Kelly and I both were doing a lot of our coaching already virtually, whether on the phone or through Zoom. I know for me personally, when I became a coach and the idea of coaching virtually came up, I was like, no way. How can you coach somebody? You know, it's not in person. You can't feel their energy. And it has proven to be extremely, extremely effective. I think the other piece is, again, the pandemic only illuminated and uncovered a lot of the challenges that we sort of were innately seeing or we were suspecting that women were facing. And it really just exacerbated the need and the opportunity. And we just kept saying to each other, we need to do this. This is needed now more than ever. So that when there wasn't a panic, it was more of a a catalyst for us to just get our things together quicker so that we could be of support to the women community. And I think for a lot of women, the Zoom environment, although people are still hankering to get back in person, but Zoom meets people where they are. As a woman, you don't need to find childcare and then drive downtown and park and you can turn on your camera. And if the kids are running in the background, it's really not a big deal. When the pandemic first started, we're having sessions at 6 a.m in the morning because that was the perfect time for women to wake up the rest of the house was quiet and they had this hour to themselves and so we brought them together in community in that way and it's really just exploded from there and we're more than happy to continue doing our work via zoom we don't find that it's an impediment to creating that sense of community and intimacy it's so much easier for a lot of women to meet that way and and allows us to bring people in from various walks of life and from geographical locations. That was what I was going to say too, is we have people who join sometimes from Pacific to East Coast or Australia. It really allows the flexibility and it just increases the amount and different types of women that can join. It's not just one, you know, location. Yeah. I was like, looking at all the Zoom stuff. And I imagine people starting companies around time zones where you could be in like New York or Brazil. And the only thing that really matters is how many time zones off. Now, of course, you mentioned bringing in women from Australia. I know they're almost the exact opposite. So there has to be some level of of accommodation. But it's interesting because I did read a lot of statistics because I've been thinking a lot about the future of work now that we're coming out of the pandemic or People keep thinking we're coming out and then we're not. And people disagree as to how much we've come out of it. But post-pandemic, what the future of work is going to look like. And I've actually have read studies that have talked about what people's preferences are on whether they work remotely, in person, or some form of hybrid. And it did seem like there was a slight women being slightly more likely to prefer more time remote versus in person than men and particularly white men in this particular survey. I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, certainly allows for some greater flexibility. What's interesting about that is we literally just posted on LinkedIn about an article sort of talking about that very nature of the hybrid work environment and actually the potential for women to be at almost like a double disadvantage. So while we think of it as as a positive because it it helps with flexibility and work-life balance and some of the other things that generally women might be more interested in, potentially it almost limits their ability to be heard and to use their voice because they're not maybe physically in the office with some of their colleagues and also could potentially limit their exposure to mentors and sponsorship so interesting because it's like this 
double bind, really. There's no right answer for women. Yeah, it's a challenge. How do you integrate the people that are physically in the room with you as well as the people who are online and integrate it together so it's not like this two-tiered system where, and I'm sure a lot of people listening have been at a meeting where you're in a room with six people, say, and there's three people online and those three people turn into some kind of an afterthought. And so we're also talking about the future of work, some of these hybrid environments. And you also mentioned the future of work also involving a little bit more importance placed on some of these skills, such as relationship building. What do you see as a work environment that you're trying to help build, say, 10, 15 years from now that hopefully has less than 16% of all people satisfied with their jobs and has a lot more people in this flow state that you were talking about with some of the women in your community? Yeah, I mean, I think where things are going, given the increase in complexity and interdependencies of our world, is a much more agile work environment. And so I think that's where the relationships at the core are, are going to be so valuable because we're moving away from this hierarchical leadership structure into a much more networked structure, you know, both within organizations and beyond. And I think there's a couple of pieces to that. There's obviously the, the importance of trust building and relationships and collaboration. But I also think that sort of changing work structure is helpful for people to look at work in a different way. It's not necessarily a nine to five in an office anymore. And people can choose how they want to bring that side of their work, you know, their life into being. And so I think, again, that's where it's really important to get very clear about what's important to you. You know, what do you want in your work and your life and taking that time to be reflective and introspective. How we build relationships is going to look and is looking very different. Not your typical team building activities or you go away, you know, again, because people are all over the place. And I hear that often as, as a challenge for people right now is how do we connect in this new type of environment? I think the other thing we would hope for or wish for is, you know, again, just greater representation, a lot more different types of leadership models in place so that no matter who you are and what your strengths are, you see yourself in the role models and in the leaders of your organization. So it's not just one type or two types of leaders, but there's really a multitude of leaders and great leaders that you can look up to and admire and see yourself in those leaders. Yeah, as opposed to just seeing one mold, one type. I think is what the world of the 20th century generally was. You think of the stereotypical 1950s society. Everyone was trying to be the same person or be the same family or be the same thing. And we're now recognizing that, well, that doesn't work for everybody. Everyone has different work styles. I've read books about circadian rhythms and how some people naturally grade it. Like I woke up at six and I got everything done before noon. And other people have told me my best work is done like after I finish cleaning up after dinner at 7.30 p.m., right? And just kind of leveraging some of that in a much more effective way than even what you were saying with leadership before, that all the leaders were trying to be the same person. It's like, okay, we're trying to be that standard quasi-militaristic style hierarchy leadership. And a lot of people in my generation came to work and looked around and says, wait a second, we're not fighting a war we're not trying to crush the competition and 
run everything up and down a chain of command. This is just weird. And I think as Kelly said too, the world then looked very different. And the level of volatility and uncertainty and complexity now is just so much greater. And so what's needed from leaders is so different. Yeah, it is. Everything's changing so much quicker. I mean, how many people are using the exact knowledge they learned with their college degree in their job every day, right? (laughs) So the last thing I wanted to cover, kind of back to your origin story, you said you were both coaching a little bit before you decided to found Her Brilliance Community. And then like you met each other, you came together. So when you first introduced to one another, what made it click? What made you decide that this is the person that I'm going to start this business with? Part of it was just that shared journey, right? So we immediately, immediately between the two of us had this sense of, oh, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not alone in having taken time off to have children and then wanting something more and feeling like there was a calling or a purpose, a bigger purpose that we wanted to serve. So certainly that aspect, that shared experience and shared dream and vision certainly brought us together to do this same kind of work. Yeah, and then I think it's an alignment of values mm-hmm. and, you know, what's important to us and what we're looking for out of our work uh, and how that fits into the bigger context of our life. And I think that really is what's making it so easy to continue to do this work together because we are just so aligned on what's important. Whether you're looking for a co-founder, looking for the right job, looking for any other proper connection is something that historically has been also undervalued is how well do your values align as opposed to just like matching skill sets, like you're, you know, piecing a puzzle together. And then when you started Her Brilliance Community, when it first came together, what was the initial response you got from people both before and after the pandemic hit? I mean, I think there's just been this strong resonance right from the beginning, which is what's given us the the motivation and the encouragement to keep going. Whenever we talk about the word brilliance, it's amazing how often women, they just understand. They have that sense of like, yes, there is something inside of me that I'm not fully acknowledging, that I'm not fully allowing to show up in the workplace. And I would really love some support stepping into that. I think everywhere we go, whenever we share that story and just that sense of, you know, something's holding you back from letting your brilliance shine, people are like, yes, yeah, you're right. When you talk about letting your brilliance shine, I'm wondering how much of it is about recognizing these skills as really important skills, some of these ones that have been historically overlooked. How much of it is that versus developing some of these skills, developing the ability, finding the best way to build relationships? It's something that I'm working on a little bit now that I'm 53 episodes in. Like, How do I contact people at the right cadence to continue all these relationships I've built through this podcast. But, you know, it's kind of like these developing skill development versus recognizing what skills that you already have and how that they're like much more awesome than you've been thinking about it. Because a lot of people, I think you mentioned on your website, because it comes easy to someone, they tend to underestimate how valuable it really is. I think that's, it's a little bit of both. You know, everybody has their sort of innate strengths and talents, qualities about them that come naturally. And so the first piece is recognizing and accepting and really accessing that part of you. And then, sure, there may be needs 
to develop and upskill in those areas in service of what your organization needs from you as a leader. I think the difference is not trying to be somebody you're not, but leveraging those innate natural qualities in order to be the kind of leader that you need to be. Yeah. And I think we start generally with what's already inside you. You know, we have a very strengths-based approach to our work. And I think that is driven by this need that we hear in a lot of women to just feel more confident in the, who they are and in themselves. And so we like to start there. And then once you're operating from a place of strength and confidence, then you can be looking for what's next. Where's my growth and my stretch from here? And then if any women listening out there are interested and want to contact you about joining the community, what would be the best way to go uh, on the website or email or anything else? Yeah, you can find us on our website, herbrilliancecommunity.com. And there's a way to contact us there. We can get in touch that way. Excellent. And then one, one final question, just quick question about community. A lot of people want to form a community. A lot of people need community, whether it be better connections with the friends they have or finding new connections. What is the number one thing someone can do from a mindset approach to be open to having improving the community that they have or finding a new community? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think with all of this, I like to trust my gut. I mean, in this almost in the same way that Laura and I did when we met, there's just this intuitive sense that this is a place that you feel safe and that it feels like home. And I think, again, that is the foundation from which you can then launch yourself into the world. I would say it's an intuitive sense and feel. I think, too, coming from a mindset of possibility and expansion, there's so many communities out there. There's so many different ways that you can join communities or create community. I think sometimes it can feel perhaps a little intimidating or scary to think about joining a community with a bunch of other people and maybe some of those imposter syndrome feelings come up. How am I going to measure up to everybody else? And if you can think about it from a place of what would be possible for you by connecting with these women or these people? How can I expand in this way? There's so much to be gained and so much opportunity that could exist. Mm. That makes sense. Well, Kelly, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, providing your story, providing some inspiration and giving us some ideas about how to create better communities and create a better world of work And I'd like to thank everyone out there listening and encourage you to, however you decide to do it, to develop your own unique leadership capability, because regardless of your position, what your job role is or where you are in life, you are a leader in some capacity, whether it's just leading yourself or whether you're, say, eight years old and have a six-year-old sister that looks up to you, you're still a leader in some capacity. I'd like to encourage you to Tune in to some more episodes of Actions Antidotes, where I will interview more people who are doing what they really want to be doing in life and finding that purpose, finding that heartwarming joy when they actually do their job, which is what a lot of people are unfortunately missing today. Thank you once again. Thanks, Thanks Stephen. for having us.